Now, I don't deny that God loves his people, and he rescues them because he loves them. But do you see the real reason why God rescued the people of Israel? He made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Welcome to the Fox Den with Terry Fox. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Fox Den. Last time, I began a series on telling the Bible story, and last time I covered the book of Genesis. And in this episode, we're going to cover the storyline from Exodus to Deuteronomy. Now, where Genesis covered several thousand years from creation to Joseph, the remaining four books of the Pentateuch, that is Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, are going to cover about 120 years, really the lifespan of Moses. Now, the time difference between the end of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus is several hundred years. And Exodus 1 gives us the context of the Exodus event, which is the exit from Egypt. Now, at the time of the Exodus, the Israelites, also known as the Hebrew people, were enslaved in Egypt. And this enslavement was actually prophesied in Genesis. God told Abraham several hundred years earlier about this enslavement. In Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 through 16, God states that they will be afflicted for 400 years. But God will deliver them and judge the nation they serve. So if you remember at the end of Genesis, Joseph, who is one of the sons of Jacob, was sold into slavery by his brothers and taken down into Egypt. And during a famine, all of Jacob's family ended up moving down into Egypt. So you have Joseph and all his brothers and their dad, you have all the family that is now down in Egypt. And over time, they begin to grow in number. And so by the time we get to the book of Exodus, the people of Israel had grown large. And it's estimated that they had grown to about 2 million people. So over the time of this growth, several hundred years, a king of Egypt arose who didn't know about Joseph. And this king was concerned about the large number of the people of Israel. In other words, this large number could threaten his rule. Perhaps they desired to overtake him. So he enslaved the people of Israel. Then Pharaoh ordered that the Hebrew males at birth be thrown into the Nile. And then in Exodus 2, we see the birth of Moses. And as a Hebrew male, he was to be thrown into the Nile, but his mother made a basket to put him in. Then his sister put him in the basket and put him in the Nile River. Then the daughter of Pharaoh found him, and she raised him as her own son. And Pharaoh's daughter sent him to Moses' mother to nurse him. She even paid Moses' mother to nurse him. Isn't that interesting how God works? That in his sovereignty, Moses' mother is trying to protect him, and Pharaoh's daughter actually brings him back to his mother so that she would nurse him. Well, when Moses was an adult, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, so he killed him. And when Pharaoh found out... Moses fled to Midian. And Exodus 2 ends by saying that God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, I don't deny that God loves his people, and he rescues them because he loves them. But do you see the real reason why God rescued the people of Israel? He made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, God was moved by his promise, the promise that he made with one man and then echoed that same promise to his children. Keep in mind what the purpose of the Pentateuch is, the first five books of the Bible. It is to inform the people of Israel who they are, 
It is to give them a law to live by when they enter the promised land, and they are to live according to this law because of who God is. We'll see this in greater detail in a moment with the Ten Commandments. But what the people begin to see is that God is a promise-keeping God, and he will rescue his people because he made a promise to Abraham. And his promise is not based on Abraham's character. Abraham wasn't a good guy. He was just as sinful as you and me. He was merely the guy to whom God made the promise. Then we see in Exodus chapter 3 that God calls Moses to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. God appears to him in a burning bush, and God tells him to go to Pharaoh in order to bring his people out. Once again, remember the purpose of the Pentateuch, to inform the people who God is and what he has done, to remind the people who they are. They're God's people by his promise to Abraham. Then Moses inquires who it is that is sending him, and God replies, I am who I am. And we see this in verse 14. Okay, so I've gone fairly slowly up to this point. The first three chapters of Exodus lay the groundwork of the situation the people of Israel were in. And it gives the backstory of Moses who will lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And again, it informs the people who God is and what he did for them. Now, as a reminder, Moses probably wrote the Pentateuch during the wilderness wandering. It's likely that most of the adult population who experienced the Exodus had died off at this point. These were probably the children and grandchildren of those who actually passed through the Red Sea. So many of them were probably unfamiliar with the Exodus event itself. So I've moved slowly up to this point with the first three chapters, but now we're going to move very quickly with a few occasional stops. Again, I'm not going to be able to hit every detail. Instead, I'll give you an overview of the rest of the Pentateuch. So we see that Moses confronted Pharaoh, and he told him that God said, let his people go. And Pharaoh refused. So God sends nine plagues, and each time Pharaoh refused to let God's people go. Do you know why Pharaoh refused to let God's people go? His heart was hardened. Now, here's another interesting piece. Do you know why his heart was hardened? Well, several references said that he hardened his heart. But there are also several references that say that God hardened his heart. Exodus 9.12 10 1, 10 20, 10 27, 11 10, 14 8. God hardened his heart. Do you know why God hardened his heart? Moses tells us in Exodus 9, verse 16. God tells him it's for this purpose that he raised Pharaoh up. He did it to show his power so that his name would be proclaimed throughout the earth. God hardened his heart so that he would refuse to let the people of Israel go. And he did it really for the 10th plague. The 10th plague is the key plague. So think about it. God sends nine plagues and every time Pharaoh refuses to let the people of Israel go. Then God tells the people of Israel to put blood of a lamb on the doorposts of their houses. And then God would pass over those homes and spare their firstborn. See, this event is known as the Passover, that God would pass over their houses. And then God struck down the firstborn in Egypt who did not have blood on the doorposts. And this included Pharaoh's firstborn son. So do you see the connection, the significance? This event points forward to Jesus. It's not a coincidence or a good illustration of Jesus. The Passover and Exodus 
occurred in history in order to point forward to Jesus. Remember, he shed blood on the cross, and what were they to put on the doorpost? Blood. And God would pass over their houses and not kill the firstborn. And those of us who have depended on Christ for our salvation are marked with his blood, and we are out of danger of God's judgment. So the Passover and Exodus occurred in history in order to point forward to Jesus. Now, you can listen to episodes 8 and 43 where I discuss this concept further. Now, this event took place about 1,400 years before Jesus was born. Yet, did you know that Jesus is known as the Passover lamb? Remember, what God called the Israelites to do is put the blood of a lamb on their doorposts. And Jesus is known as the Passover lamb. And he was born about 1,400 years after the Passover event. You see, Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 calls Jesus the Passover lamb. That Exodus event pointed forward to Jesus. Now, there are other connections, but I don't have time to share those. Then finally, Pharaoh lets the people of Israel go, yet he changed his mind. And when the people of Israel arrived at the shore of the Red Sea, the Egyptian army closed in on them. So now they're pinned between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army. Think of how hopeless they must have felt in that moment. But God then sends a wind and pushes the water of the Red Sea back, and the people crossed on dry ground. And then the Egyptian army pursued them into the Red Sea. And once the Israelites got to the other side, God closed the waters and destroyed the entire Egyptian army in the sea. So God got his people across the Red Sea safely. And then over time, the people of Israel moved south into the Sinai Peninsula. And during this time, God issued the Ten Commandments. We see that in Exodus chapter 20. Now, notice how God institutes the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. He is the Lord, their God. He's the one who brought them out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, this is the picture that you have to have here with the Ten Commandments. What God is saying is, because I'm your God and I did this for you, here are the rules by which you are to live. He's not saying that live by these laws in order to be righteous. He's saying, because you're my people, this is how I expect you to live. But God already knows they're going to violate his law. He already knows this. That's why he saves us by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But he does issue the Ten Commandments as a framework of how to live. God didn't give them the Ten Commandments as a means to save themselves. God already saved them. He gave them the Ten Commandments in order to live as his people. Then God begins to issue more laws, both civil and religious. And we see this throughout the chapters of Exodus to Deuteronomy. And these four books contain many different kinds of laws. And the Pentateuch is also known as the Torah, which is the Hebrew word for law. Then we see something tragic happen in Exodus 32. The people make a golden calf. It's difficult for man to worship God if he can't see him. Man, by our own sinful nature, wants something we can see. And these people wanted a God that they could touch and see. Yet God clearly stated in the second command of the Ten Commandments that we are not to make graven images and we're not to bow down to them. He said that in Exodus chapter 20. But here in Exodus 32, they're already violating God's holy law. We can't make God the way we want him to be. 
God is spirit, and we must worship him in spirit and in truth. John tells us that in John chapter 4, verse 24. You get a glimpse here that these people were sinful. God didn't rescue them because they're good. They're not. I'm not even digging deeper and showing you just how sinful these people were. They actually wanted to return to the land of slavery. And as a reminder, God didn't save them because they were good. He saved them because he made a promise to Abraham hundreds of years earlier. Well, the last few chapters of Exodus cover the making of the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle was the mobile symbol of God. Remember, the people of Israel haven't entered the promised land yet. So they're still moving in that direction. So they have a tabernacle, which they would set up and break down and then move and then set up again at their next location. And the tabernacle was the place in which the priests interacted with God on behalf of the people. Again, are you getting a glimpse of Jesus, who is our mediator between us and God? In fact, the Apostle John uses the word tabernacle in chapter 1 of his gospel. One of the verbs he uses in verse 14 is to set up a tabernacle. He says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, Jesus became man and tabernacled with us. You see, the Apostle John is saying the tabernacle in the Old Testament points to Jesus. And as we look at Jesus here on earth during his earthly ministry, he dwelt with us. He walked with us. He tabernacled with us. So back in the Old Testament, as they were moving to the Promised Land, the tabernacle was placed in the middle of the 12 tribes when they would encamp. And this was a symbol that God was with his people. And in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he quotes Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, saying that Jesus' name would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Again, that tabernacle back there in the wilderness pointed forward to Jesus, who was born about 1,400 years later. Well, the next book in the Pentateuch is Leviticus, and it covers offerings and religious laws. One thing I want to point out is Leviticus chapter 10. Aaron and his sons were priests. These were the ones who brought the sacrifice on behalf of the people. Nadab and Abihu, two sons of Aaron, offered unauthorized fire, and God killed them. Now, you may think this is pretty harsh, but you have to understand that God takes his worship seriously, and he gets to tell us how we are to worship him. We don't get to make the rules. So then the remainder of the book of Leviticus includes more laws. Now, Leviticus is a very dry book to read, very difficult. In fact, if you look at the first several chapters where it's talking about offerings, there's a lot of precision And so it can be pretty dry when you're reading through it. You can get lost pretty easy. And again, I discussed this in the last episode. One of the reasons why is you're not in that context. But one of the things that you note when you look at those offerings is how they point forward to Jesus. For example, many of them required the killing of an animal. You would have a bull with no blemish, and you would shed its blood. Who does that sound like? Jesus, who had no sin, who shed his blood. Do you see how God is pointing forward to Jesus? So as you read through Leviticus, and it's going to be very difficult, and I realize that, just try to keep Christ in view. The whole sacrificial system was intended to point forward to Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that their sins weren't forgiven. They were, 
But it's not because of the blood of animals, but it's because of what the blood of the animals represented, the blood of Christ. So after Leviticus comes the book of Numbers. And the first thing that we see there is a census of the 12 tribes. And the next chapter covers the encampment. And again, as the people of Israel traveled to the promised land, they would have to encamp. And chapter 2 covers the encampment, how the encampment was to be arranged. Then Numbers discussed duties of different people and states more laws. And then we see another tragic story, and this is a big one. So they send 12 spies into the land to check out the promised land. And those 12 spies come back and they give a report. And the land is great. It has all the provisions they need. But 10 of them say there's a problem. They say that the people are strong and the cities are fortified and they're large. And then they said, we're not able to take the land because they're stronger than we are. But Caleb said that we would be able to take it. Both Caleb and Joshua believed that they could take the land. But the people believed the 10 spies. And because of this, the adult population was not allowed to enter the promised land. So that led to the wilderness wandering. So the people of Israel spent about 40 years in the wilderness until the adult population died off. Remember when I said earlier that Moses was probably writing to the children and grandchildren of those who went through the Red Sea? Well, this is why. They're spending their time wandering in the wilderness because they chose not to believe God. They chose to believe that they couldn't take the land when God had already promised them the land. Do you see the problem here? They're calling God's character and his ability into question. They're saying he's not able. They're saying he's not trustworthy. They're saying, I don't believe him. Now, the remainder of Numbers includes more laws, and it shows the sinfulness of the people of Israel. And again, God didn't save these people because they were good, because they're not good. They're anything but good. God saved them because he made a promise to Abraham. Then in Numbers chapter 20, we see yet another tragic story. God commanded Moses to speak to the rock in order for water to flow, yet Moses struck it twice with his staff. And God told Moses that he would not lead the people into the promised land because he didn't believe God. Now, I won't cover Deuteronomy. It simply means second law. So it's going to cover more laws and many of the same laws found in other books. However, I will let you know that Deuteronomy chapter 31 tells us that Joshua will lead the people of Israel into the promised land instead of Moses. Now, just to remind you, the land that God promised Abraham was the land of Canaan, which is present-day Israel. Also remember that Joshua was one of the two spies who said that they could take the land about 40 years earlier. Now, at the end of Deuteronomy, the people of Israel were poised to enter the promised land. They spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness after they left Egypt. Once again, I did an overview of these four books so that you get an idea of the flow of the story. I didn't even come close to hitting many of the high points. However, not only do I hope you were able to understand the flow of the story, I hope you were able to get a glimpse of how some of these stories, these real historic events, pointed forward to Jesus. And I didn't even cover all of them. Now, I do have a couple takeaways for you. First, God told us about Jesus several hundred years ago, and we saw a couple of those in Exodus. Second, remember that God saves because of his promise to Abraham. He doesn't save good people. 
None of us are good. And in fact, good people don't need to be saved. And just so you know, there are no good people. You can listen to episodes 9 and 24 for discussion on this. You can trust that God will save you in the Lord Jesus Christ. As you recognize your sin and depend on Christ for your salvation, you are secure in Christ. He is the Passover lamb. And it's not because you're worthy. You're not. It's because God is trustworthy and he keeps his promise. Jesus' work is dependable and God is trustworthy. God saves his people because he made a promise to Abraham. So you are secure in Christ because God cannot go back on his word. That concludes this episode. If you have any questions, please email me at terry at thefoxdenjournal.com. If you enjoy The Fox Den, please leave a positive review and share this podcast with others. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe. The Fox Den is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Thanks for listening. And remember, faith comes by hearing.